doing today? Welcome to the show. Um, you know, at this point, with the amount that I'm eating on air, we should just flat out make it a segment. It should be called, like, Breakfast with Kyle or some shit. Nah, that sounds weird. It reminds me too much of, like, Breakfast at Tiffany's, which, by the way, is the whitest song ever made. And I said, what about Breakfast at Tiffany's? super white. Um, If you know of a song that's whiter than Breakfast at Tiffany's, please let me know what it is. But anyway, today we switched it up a little bit. I'm not going to say exactly what it is I'm eating because I don't want to do like inadvertent ads here. But this shit is fucking delicious. I will say that. And I will say it's some sort of like cinnamon cakey thing. So, hmm. You guys probably think I love cinnamon because oftentimes I end up eating something with cinnamon in it for breakfast, but I swear to God, that's just, that's super random. I don't know if I've had a non-cinnamon product on air in a long time. Not on air, I mean, in a long time. Mmm. This is tasty. So my favorite story today that didn't actually make the show, and it's kind of weird because now it is in the show, just like unofficially, is um, Trump visited the UK, and there were all these protests and whatnot, and some of the stuff is goofy, but it's also a little bit funny. They have like the big floating Trump in a diaper thing. I mean, again, it's it's kind of funny, but it's also a little bit tired, like, oh, wow, a big baby. Yeah, we get it. We know he's a big baby. We've known that forever. But putting that aside, the best the best protest was as 
Air Force One flies in to the UK, an area where they fly directly over, a guy used his lawnmower and cut like a giant dick into the ground <laughs> so that Trump would be forced to see this giant penis. And I think it said something else, too, like making fun of him or whatever. Um, but yeah, that is a kind of protest I approve of. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. Imagine Trump, the President of the United States, flying in, and he's looking out the window. Is this the UK? Tremendous. Beautiful place. Kind of gray, though. Kind of gray. A lot of rain, I hear. Tremendous rain. Um, and he's like, oh, goodness. <laughs> what a large, what a large tube. What is this? What is this? Secret Service. Get in here. What is this? Oh, this. Oh, oh, it's a, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, it's too funny. Mm. More of those kinds of protests. Because they make me laugh. Mm. Now, let me give you a little rundown of what we'll be talking about in the show today. First and foremost, relax, breathe, because the story about Steven Crowder and Carlos Maza, 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 however you say it, um, that is literally going to be the first story that we cover. And that's going to be walking into a minefield. Bernie also spoke at a shareholder meeting for Walmart. Um, he absolutely crushed it. He did what only Bernie Sanders can do. They actually took Bernie's YouTube channel and they started uploading videos from Walmart workers yesterday. So his YouTube channel released countless um, Walmart worker stories where they spoke about what it's like working there. And I mean, this is a kind of solidarity that you would never expect to see from a presidential candidate, but nonetheless, he's doing it. And it's fucking amazing. And I absolutely love it. Then we have a story on Joe Biden and his uh, insane fundraising. And um, I just, I got a lot today, guys. All right. So don't go anywhere. If you do go anywhere, you're making a giant mistake. All right, last bite of my breakfast. And of course, it's not a breakfast without. <clears throat> Bitch. Little bit, little bit of big seltzer in this motherfucker. By the way, check out, um, <clears throat> go to my Twitter feed if you haven't, and check out the great new Secular Talk animated, because um, it is fantastic. It is something else. And subscribe to Adrew, because he knocked it out of the park. So anyway, all right, let's go. Mm. Time to walk right into that minefield, bitch. That's what we're going to do right into that minefield.
So Adpocalypse 3.0, I think this would be. I think we already had 2.0. I'm pretty sure that Adpocalypse 3.0 may be upon us. And uh, there's a long conversation here, a long story about what led to that point. Excuse me, I'm going to walk you through it. So here we have a man by the name of Steven Crowder and Carlos Maza, Maza? I don't know how uh, he pronounces it, but maybe either one. But anyway, um, so Carlos Maza works for Vox. And um, a couple days ago, he went on this long tweet storm where he basically said, like, okay, I have thick skin as a public person. However, um, Steven Crowder has been coming after me for years now. And the way in which he's coming after me, he's attacked my uh, identity. So Carlos Mazza is gay, and Steven Crowder, you know, has called him a queer, a lispy queer, among other things. And he's made uh, Carlos Mazza a target. And so he does this long tweet storm, Carlos does, where he says, like, you know, oh, how could YouTube say they support uh, LGBTQ people and they make a big deal about this and they talk about Pride Month and they have their rainbow play button and whatnot and they're just using you. They don't really care about you and they're not interested in protecting the LGBTQ com community and I'm the perfect example of that because this guy's been coming after me. He's been coming after me in a way that crosses the line and violates the terms of service and it's not fair and it's not right and I think they should act. So here's, uh, you know, me documenting all the examples of Steven Crowder coming after me. So I actually have that video here for you. Let's play that, and then we'll come back and talk more about this. Before we get to the video, uh, with our favorite, favorite lispy sprite <laughs> from Vox. It's ridiculous. It's bonkers. You're being given a free pass as a crappy writer because you're gay. That's center line on his little queer graph there. <laughs> what is, what is well, that? Well, now like? the graph is queer? Just violence, filth. Okay, so the little queer can eat his chips all nonchalantly. It's code for race, Mr. Queer Eating Chips on the Vox channel. Chip, 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 you can eat just one. Well, this is what Mr. Gay Vox wants to do. Mr. Lispy Queer from Vox. What, was, what were you holding, Gay Latino from Vox? Even his hand movement in fast motion is gay. Now we're here with the short-haired angry lesbian on Skype. Some cable news is bitching. Two gay guys sitting there eating a banana. We get the symbolism there. Oh, the truth is hiding in a closet two weeks later, probably along to his next Pride Parade outfit. This guy on the gay semi-Latino vlog. Oh, okay. So well, there's an angry little queer. All right. I can't deal with this Sprite anymore. Okay. He just sashays across without it. Like, just stop. That gay vlog Sprite is wrong. <laughs> now he could be a tranny, Your Honor. But how many lispy, angry Sprites and Vox sashay across the screen and try and tell you otherwise? Or you, by the way, the gay Mexican guy. The gay Latino V-neck. Gay Mexican. For Mexican gay guy used to work. Mexican oh, gay oh, Latino there at, uh, oh, at Vox. Oh, uh, gay Latino from Vox. The token Vox gay atheist Sprite with Surprisingly, surprisingly flaccid chest, considering how thinny it is. It's very bizarre to me. Uh, uh, yes, but it was an addendum to that. So before we get to the exact issue in question here, let me just say a little bit about Stephen Crowder. Stephen Crowder is tied with Ben Shapiro for the dumbest 
of the political commentators. I'm not kidding when I say he's wrong about probably over 98% of the issues. So when I say I have no sympathy for Steven Crowder, I mean it. This is a guy who has a video on his channel about how AIDS is a hoax. He's a climate change denier. Get this, he's a Ted Cruz supporter. So I need you to realize how hilarious it is that in the world we live in, there are some people who look at a guy like Steven Crowder and they think, like, he's edgy or something. You think this guy is edgy? In a field of about a 1,000 political candidates, he picked Ted Cruz. No, that's, okay, like, I need you to get how insane that is, because when you look at a guy like Trump, for example, and I said this a lot on, on when everybody was on the campaign trail, like, I'm not at all a Trump supporter, not by any stretch of the imagination, but can I see how some people might go, hey, you know what, I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, but there's a chance he breaks up the establishment, and also he's doing some populist rhetoric. Yeah, that's true. There was a chance he was going to break up the establishment. He didn't do it. And he did populist rhetoric. Again, that was fake. He didn't actually do populist policies. But I could see how I could tap into the mind of somebody in the Rust Belt who lost their fucking factory job who go, yeah, you know what, I'll roll the dice on this guy. And I have sympathy for that person. Even though they were wrong in that vote, and I would have argued with them to the hilt not to vote that way, I can have sympathy and go, okay, it's on the Democrats to craft a better message, to be more populist, to be more anti-corruption and anti-establishment, and then you'll get that guy's vote. So there's a degree of, I got it. I, I don't agree with you at all, but I get it. If you support a tech, I don't get it. No, I don't get it. You are... Ted Cruz is a giant fraud. Ted Cruz is a con artist. Ted Cruz has argued when Democrats say, um, hey, we should limit the impact of private financing of our election and money in politics, because that's basically legalized bribery and legalized corruption. Ted Cruz's response to that is, why do you hate the First Amendment and why are you anti-free speech? Excuse you? No. The point is, we, that is not a speech issue. It is literally a corruption issue. Money is not speech. If money was speech, then you technically would be able to do murder for hire. Because you could say, no, I'm not actually buying the murder of somebody. This is just speech. I'm just saying, hey, in theory, uh, you know, money for murder is okay. So I have, I'm just trying to impress upon you how a guy, like an evangelical Christian far-right extremist loser who's dead wrong about everything, that's not edgy, that's not cool, that's the dumbest fucking shit ever. And if you can't clearly see that Ted Cruz is a fraud and Ted Cruz is wrong about pretty much everything, then I don't, you're on another goddamn planet. Another planet. Ted Cruz, boring Ted Cruz. I can't, it's just insanity. Steven Crowder to this day argues that Adolf Hitler is a lefty. So, in other words, this is a guy who, I want to give you his, his worldview here, his breakdown. 
everything left ever is bad. If you're on the left, you're bad, and you're responsible for everything that's wrong. I, by the way, I have no idea where that actually came from. <laughs> that's not at all what Steven Crowder sounds like, but anyway, it just came out that way. Um, but that's his worldview. His worldview is left bad, right good, and now everything I say will be trying to fit that square peg into that round hole and trying to get you to believe that. So, you know, Pol Pot, Mao, uh, Stalin, left, left, left. Mussolini and Hitler, left. So th- this is this guy's level of analysis. He's a fucking dipshit. He's a dip. He doesn't know anything. He's wrong about virtually fucking everything, okay? So I have less than no sympathy for a guy like Steven Crowder. And on the policy substance, his show is cancer. It's just flat-out cancer. You will 100% know more shit if you didn't watch Crowder than if you watch Crowder. So if you watch Crowder, you'll just be misinformed. If you watch no Crowder and no news at all, ever, and all you have is your gut opinion, okay, you will be way more informed than if you watch Steven Crowder. So there's nothing about him that's edgy. There's nothing about him that's populist or for average people. He's a fucking loser whose arguments bolster the establishment and bolster the far right. So no interest in him whatsoever. Now, having said all that, is what he said there worthy of getting banned? No. So Carlos Mazza, that was his argument. His argument was, hey, here's all the things that he said about me. This is harassment. These are anti-gay slurs. Um, He should be taken down. He should be deplatformed. And what YouTube did is they went through, they did, you know, an investigation or whatever you want to call it, and they went through all the videos that were the original videos that Carlos Mazza had clipped out here. And basically, the reality of the situation is, like Steven Crowder, hate Steven Crowder, obviously I hate Steven Crowder, he was responding to arguments that Carlos Mazza made in his, you know, box videos, And he was saying, hey, here's where all those arguments are wrong. And in the process of doing that, he said fucked up things, like you heard there. Now, Stephen Crowder's dodge is, I'm a comedian. Okay, I mean, technically you're a comedian. You're the least funny comedian on the fucking planet. And I'm not saying that from a position of, good sir, I'm offended. I'm saying that from the position of, no, you're you're just simply not funny. (laughs) Like, I'm not one to get offended. I don't really give a shit. But you're just not funny. It's just... Like, you suck at this, is my point. So, um, that's his dodge. But is that really, like, in his heart of hearts when he's making these rebuttal videos, is that what he's thinking? I think he is trying to be funny, but it also is true that the shit he says is fucked up. And it also is true that, you know, technically, yeah, you're, you're using his sexuality as a thing to go after him on. So you're saying, oh, you're queer... You know, you're you're lispy, you're this, you're that. And it, it is an attempt at humor. I don't think it's funny. Um, and you are targeting him for his sexual orientation. But is that something that should get somebody deplatformed? No. Guys, listen. There are literal ISIS attack videos on YouTube. Literal ISIS attack videos. Uh, you know, that would be something that <laughs> that crosses a line way more than Steven Crowder ever crossed there. Um, but we don't really bat an eyelash at ISIS attack videos being on YouTube. Why? Because we go, I don't know, it's a free platform. You put whatever the fuck you want to put on it. I, I mean, what are you talking about? That, that's what it is. It's what you do. 
So this gets to a, a fundamental question. What do we want YouTube to be? The original idea is it's a bathroom wall. It's not, there's no curating, there's no editing, there's no censorship. It's just, it's a middleman. It's a service where you upload shit you want to upload, and that's it. So it's not in the business of, I'm, I have to go through all the, do you have any idea how much content is uploaded to YouTube on a daily basis? I mean, it's a fucking behemoth. They couldn't, even if they wanted to, objectively enforce some sort of terms of service here. So since their role is, they're not in the business of, oh, we're going to micromanage this, then they're not in a position where they can react to something like that. Now, if you say to me, well, come on, man, there's got you can't have complete and utter anarchy, I would agree with that. But then the question becomes, what are the rules? Give me some basic rules, and then we'll work off of that. And in my mind, as you guys know, and I've said it all along, and I maintain it to this day, really the only things you can or should be able to act on are direct threats of violence, okay, some sort of doxing, um, and just the clearest examples ever of, like, libel or, or slander. And, again, those, the bar for that is so high you have no idea. You can't just do what Dave Rubin says and, you called me a conservative and I don't like it, so I'm going to fucking sue you or whatever goofy bullshit he's saying. That doesn't hit that level. So, even though I despise Stephen Crowder, I mean, I, again, I think it's a tie between him and Ben Shapiro for the dumbest and most wrong commentators. And I mean that sincerely. They're terrible. <laughs> They're insanely bad at this. But that, that's irrelevant. That doesn't matter. Did, is what, what he said here, does this, is this something that he should be pulled down over? No. And then listen, I would sincerely ask not just Carlos Mazza, but others, in your mind, what, what, what exactly is your endgame? What's your goal here? Do you think that anybody who not just says stuff like Stephen Crowder says here, but the fundamental logic of what you're arguing for is if somebody is a bigot, and do I think Stephen Crowder is a bigot? Yes, <laughs> I do. If somebody's a bigot, should they have, be not allowed to participate in public life at all? So if, somebody, if we learn somebody's a bigot, should all of those people be fired from their jobs, respectively? And should they... Be, you know, not be allowed to get alone or function in society because they're bad people. And again, I just want to be clear. I'm not arguing with the idea that Stephen Crowder is a bad person. I think he is a bad person. But I'm saying even though he's a bad person and even though he's had fucked up shit, I don't think that that's worthy of deplatforming. Um, so, and, and you could call it radical. I just call it basic, uh, uh, the basic application of the principle of freedom of speech. Now, I gave you my few examples of when there is a line that's crossed but those are so fringe and so rare that they're not even worth getting into. The bulk of the content that's on YouTube, even if it's horrendous stuff. I mean, how many videos are there that speculate about 9-11 being an inside job? You know? Uh, how many, and, and if you say, well, we got to take that down because what about the fucking victims of the families of 9-11, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, but then there's the JFK conspiracy, and, like, more than half the country thinks it wasn't just, you know, um, Lee Harvey Oswald that killed JFK. Should all of those come down, too? Now, some people say yes to this, but this is the problem. You open up Pandora's box, and it's a giant slippery slope, and it's not even like, hey, theoretically, we'll go down the wrong path. We literally are going down the wrong path, because as this happened, uh, Adpocalypse 2.0 was kicked off. Now, here's what ended up happening. Stephen Crowder... Um, lost, uh, 
excuse me, won against Mazza on the deplatforming front. And YouTube came out and said, hey, listen, man, our hands are tied. We can't, we can't pull them down because none of that is something that's, you know, crosses the line enough where we could pull them down. But what they did say is, we are going to demonetize them. Okay, that's weird because if you just had said he didn't violate the terms of service, he didn't cross the line, so how can you demonetize them? And the reality is, keep it real, they're just responding to social media pressure. They're just responding to people tweeting them all day long and saying, oh, how could you? Oh, you hate uh, LGBTQ people. Uh, how dare you allow this kind of harassment to spread on your platform and whatnot? So they came to the pressure. They demonetized him. But in the process of demonetizing him, they demonetized hundreds of channels. So who else got demonetized? Well, there's a guy by the name of Ford Fisher who tracks extremism. He was demonetized. Why? Because they can't distinguish between, like, hateful content that is bolstering the hateful content and content that is calling out the hateful content. Now, you could say, well, that doesn't mean they shouldn't take down the hateful content, but I say to you, it's a fucking package deal. How do you not get it? There's no such thing as, like, a little bit of censorship, a little bit of deplatforming, and, like, you know, hey, they, ha they are doing it with the most benign intentions. Are you fucking kidding me? These social media giants where you have smoke-filled back rooms with billionaire oligarchs, are they really going to, oh, don't worry, they're only going to go after, you know, the actual hateful shit. We know how this is going to end because it always ends in the wrong way. So a guy who fucking tracks extremism was demonetized because they go, oh, I don't know, close enough to legit extremism. Uh, there's another guy, Alsop History. He was banned for hate speech, even though, of course, he didn't do hate speech. He features Nazi propaganda for historical reasons. And poor guy was tweeting. He's like, I'm, you know, I'm devastated by this. You know who else was demonetized? Our buddy TJ Kirk, uh, the Deep Fat Ride um, podcast. They have their own YouTube channel. Um, it's him, Paul's ego, and TJ's brother, Scotty. And um, they were demonetized. Why? And YouTube says, hateful content. Listen, I've watched that show many times. There ain't no hateful content. <laughs> you could like TJ, dislike TJ, it doesn't matter. There is no hateful content. That's just not true. 100% incorrect on YouTube's part. And I'm seeing more and more now. By the way, just so everybody knows, yes, I'm bracing for impact. Because it very possibly can hit me. I was hit hard by the other two um, apocalypse situations. So I could be swept up in this as well. So here's the point, man. What a lot of people aren't getting is that it's a package deal. The only way you can have a YouTube where you get to see Kyle Kalinske rail against Israel, rail against Saudi Arabia, rail against American soldier war criminals, which I just did a couple shows ago, the only way you can have a YouTube where that stuff is out there and this channel is monetized is if you have a YouTube where Steven Crowder's channel is monetized and Steven Crowder's channel is up. So what YouTube did is they said to, about Steven Crowder, we're not going to pull you down because we can't do that, but we are going to jack your funding and demonetize you. And then when they were pushed on that to clarify, they said, well, no, the only reason why 
we pulled you down is not even necessarily because of the video that Carlos Mazza put up documenting everything you said there, because we don't think any of that really crosses a line, um, a line where we can act. But you sell a T-shirt that says socialism is for, and the implication is, F-A-G-S. Again, I don't want to say because now I feel like my channel would immediately get pulled down or whatever, or get demonetized. It's now his dodge is no, it doesn't actually say F-A-G-S. It says F-I-G-S. Socialism is for figs. That's like a fig leaf or something in the middle. I don't know, but that's a dodge, and you know that's a dodge, and that shirt is dumb. And I would say that yes, that shirt is homophobic. I'm perfectly comfortable saying that uh, Stephen Crowder is a bigot and Stephen Crowder is, Crowder is a homophobe. I just don't think being a bigot and a homophobe is something that should get you pulled down. I don't. And I actually, to be fair, I don't even think that's, I don't even think it's a close issue. I don't even think it's close. I think that that's par for the course. When you have, when you are a social media giant like YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, um, what the fuck do you think is going to happen? Yeah, there's going to be like at least 30% of your population that are using your sites are going to be terrible people. <laughs> that's not enough to say pull them down. That's, uh, they're really bad people. They're racist. They're bigots. I guarantee you on a daily basis, there's countless racist memes and shit shared on Facebook. Should all of the channels that share them be pulled down? So once you open that door, it's just everything is, you're going to make it so that it's nothing but a giant safe space, and nobody could say anything that's critical of anybody. And I don't agree with that. Now, if you haven't agreed with my analysis to this point, let me show you YouTube's official blog, and then maybe you'll understand why this is so dangerous and why people are playing with fire. Look at this. YouTube says, our ongoing work to tackle hate. Over the past few years, we've been investing excuse me, in the policies, resources, and products needed to live up to our responsibility and protect the YouTube community from harmful content. This work has focused on four pillars, removing violative content, raising up authoritative content, Hmm, what the fuck is that? Reducing the spread of borderline content. Really? You want to reduce the spread of the border? So not just the things that cross the line, the things that, eh, maybe, maybe not cross the line. Reduce the spread of that. And rewarding trusted creators. Thanks to these investments, videos that violate our policies are removed faster than ever, and users are seeing less borderline content and harmful misinformation. Who determines what the fuck is and isn't misinformation? As we do this, we're partnering closely with lawmakers and civil society around the globe to spread the, to limit the spread of violent extremist content online. We review our policies on an ongoing basis to make sure we are drawing the line in the right place. In 2018 alone, we made more than 30 policy updates. One of the most complex and constantly evolving areas we deal with is hate speech. We've been taking a close look at our approach towards hateful content in consultation with dozens of experts in subjects like violent extremism, supremacism, civil rights, and free speech. Based on those learnings, we are making several updates. Removing more hateful and supremacist content from YouTube. YouTube has always had rules of the road, including a long-standing policy against hate speech. In 2017, we introduced a tougher stance towards videos with supremacist content, including limiting, limiting recommendations and features like comments and the ability to share the video. This step dramatically reduced views to these videos, on average 80%. Let me pause. These are such amorphous concepts. So you pull down some people who are like white nationalists, for example, they're immediately going to turn around and go, okay, so take down the black nationalists. And, you know, to be fair to them, they might say, well, yeah, we're going to act against 
um, a guy like, um, what the fuck is his name? Why am I blanking on his name? Ah, what the fuck's his name? Louis Farrakhan. I don't know why I blanked on that. To be fair to them, they might say, okay, we'll take down, like, Louis Farrakhan. But guys, if you go early into Malcolm X's career, a lot of this stuff is flat out anti-white, like hardcore, like all white people are devils. Uh, he believes in black identitarianism, black separatism. So the second you go, okay, we're going to go after the, the guys on the right, they're immediately going to yelp about that and go, well, I mean, you got to be neutral, right? You got to be objective, so you got to go after those people too. And then the argument, of course, will be made next, well, you got to go after the anti-fascists also. The anti-fascists are pretty open about the fact that they believe in, um, you know, authoritarian tactics. They believe in violence to meet their political goals. So are you really going to be fair in your application of this? This is the road that we're going down now. They continue. Today we're taking another step in our hate speech policy by specifically prohibiting videos alleging that a group is superior in order to justify discrimination, segregation, or exclusion based on qualities like age, gender, race, caste, religion, sexual orientation, or veteran status. This would include, for example, videos that promote or glorify Nazi ideology. By the way, they are not just doing that. They're pulling down people who cover history because they say, I don't know, you have Nazi content in there. That's just as bad as promoting it, which is inherently discriminatory. Finally, we will remove content denying that well-documented violent events like the Holocaust or shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary took place. We recognize some of this content has value to researchers and NGOs looking to understand hate in order to combat it, and we are exploring options to make it available to them in the future. And as always, context matters, so some videos could remain up because they discuss topics like pending legislation, aim to condemn or expose hate, or provide analysis of current events. They are not walking that line. They're taking down everything or demonetizing everything on that front. We will begin enforcing this updated policy today. However, it will take time for our systems to fully ramp up, and we'll be gradually expanding coverage over the next several months. So when they say we're going to take down stuff like, you know, Holocaust-denying videos, Sandy Hook-denying videos, and stuff like that, but that's the next, the next logical question is, all right, what about 9-11 trutherism? Okay, then what about, you know, people who say uh, the official story on JFK isn't true? What about people who question right now the, the Pentagon's arguments on what's happening in Syria. So if you question whether or not it was Assad or literal jihadist rebels who were responsible for the gas attacks, for example, is that a conspiracy that, where they can take you down? What about at a time when everybody thinks something, but that turns out to be the conspiracy? Like, you know, when they all said Saddam Hussein was responsible for 9-11, he has weapons of mass destruction, if YouTube was around at that time and they implemented this policy, they would have said, if you say Saddam Hussein doesn't have weapons of mass destruction, you're the conspiracy theorist. So we're going to pull you down. Do you see the zillion ways this goes wrong? All right, more. Reducing borderline content and raising up authoritative voices. In addition to removing videos that violate our policies, we also want to reduce the spread of content that comes right up to the line. In January, we piloted an update of our systems in the U.S. to limit recommendations of borderline content and harmful misinformation, such as videos promoting a phony miracle cure for a serious illness or claiming the earth is flat. We're looking to bring this updated system to more countries by the end of 20, 2019. Thanks to this change, the number of views this type of content gets from recommendations has dropped by over 50% in the U.S. Our systems are also getting smarter about what types of videos should get this treatment, and we'll be able to apply it to even more borderline videos 
moving forward. As we do this, we'll also start raising up more authoritative content and recommendations, building, building on the changes we made uh, to news last year. For example, if a user is watching a video that comes close to violating our policies, our systems may include more videos from authoritative sources like top news channels in the Watch Next panel. So do you understand what they're saying? They're trying to say anything that's even remotely close to being considered fringe, well, we're just going to redirect you back to CNN, back to MSNBC, potentially back to Fox News, back to CBS and ABC and the nightly news. So in other words, you go to YouTube to get away from the standard establishment line, and they're going to redirect you right back to the standard establishment line. Now you say, well, Kyle, that's not fair. They're saying um, content that uh, just crosses the line. No, they're literally not saying that. They're saying borderline content as well. So let me ask you, is it possible that somebody watching, this vi watching one of my videos, when I go after Saudi Arabia as hard as I do, or I go after Israel as hard as I do, or I go after religion as hard as I do, I just ripped the televangelist pastor the other day, and in the process somebody could say, oh, I don't know, that sounded vaguely anti-Christian, so we think maybe you're a bigot against Christians, so now we're just going to redirect you to other videos, and even though you like watching secular talk, irrelevant. What happens when there's a, an ISIS terror attack, and I mention, hey, part of this is fueled by uh, the the fact that these are fundamentalist um, Wahhabi Sunni Muslims. So it is the religion that plays a massive part in this. Can they then spin that, uh, turn that around on me and say, you're saying Islam is the problem and that's hate speech, that's Islamophobia, so we're going to redirect you elsewhere. This is what happens. This is what happens. So they're going to use this example to turn around and be more authoritarian more censorious, demonetize more channels, and try to squeeze out the fringe voices, not just on the right, but also on the left, and they want to make it so YouTube is safe. Safe for advertisers. Safe for a middle-aged housewife in an upper-middle-class neighborhood who doesn't want their kids stumbling across something that makes them feel slightly uncomfortable for five seconds. That's what they want YouTube to be. And careful what you wish for, people on the left, because you're going to get it. So what I would say to Carlos Maza is, do you not get that the things that you're calling for will immediately be turned around and will bite you in the ass? Because that's what's going to happen. Guaranteed that's what's going to happen. There, he's, he already was tweeting, oh, my God, they you know, demonetized Ford, this guy Ford Fisher. Why can't YouTube uh, differentiate and distinguish between you know, the stuff that's actually hateful and not? Because they have roughly 70 zillion quadrillion fucking videos up there. So the only way you could do it is with some sort of an algorithm. And when you do it with some sort of an algorithm, there's going to be the majority of what you try to go after. It's going to be collateral damage. And even in the cases where it's not collateral damage, I don't agree with their fucking judgment call on what actually crosses a line. I don't agree with that at all. Would I take down all the fucking flat earth videos? No. I think flat earth is stupid and wrong and dumb. But I think you should be allowed to talk about that. So this is, this is what we've come to. People are begging for YouTube to be this safe platform that's moderated, that's curated, that's edited, that's censored. And that's what you're going to get. And it's not going to be what it originally was, which is a bathroom wall. It's a medium. It's a free and open platform. You say whatever you want, and, you know, the only thing you can't do is direct threats of violence or dock somebody or just the super extreme fringe stuff. So go ahead. It's, it's free. This is what freedom is. 
Now, along with that, sometimes, are people going to say fucked up shit? Of course they're going to fucking say fucked up shit. Any free system is going to have people that say fucked up shit. Is Steven Crowder fucked up? Yes, yes, he is. He's fucked up. Should he be pulled down or demonetized? I would say no. And um, I really don't think people are grasping with, with the fact that it's a package deal. The only way you get Kyle Kalinske or Jimmy Dore or any other lefty you want to name talking about how Iran is right and the U.S. government is wrong, talking uh, on, you know, the, the nuclear issue and on the Iranian deal, the peace deal, and the only way you get us bashing Saudi Arabia, the only way you get us bashing Israel, the only way you get us calling out religious bigotry, the only way you get us going after the military-industrial complex, the only way you get us going after fucking Wall Street CEOs is if you also get assholes like Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder saying assholey shit. And before people flip it around on me like, oh, how could you? You know, this is, uh, he experienced homophobic abuse, and so that's why, you know, he wants action on this. I'm in a unique position to comment on this because I'm also a public person. And I have also experienced, now not homophobic abuse, because I'm not gay, so that's, I can, I have nothing but sympathy for him on that front, but yeah, I know what it's like, dude, to wake up and you see a bunch of text messages from people you don't know. That's fucking scary. I know what it's like to get an email saying, I'm going to kill you. I know what that's like. If you're a public person and you're on YouTube, especially if you talk about politics, this is what happens. It's very scary, and it is not cool at all. Our response to that can't be, therefore, just pull them down. And when YouTube said we're demonetizing Crowder, Mazza came out in a CNN article, they interviewed him, and he's like, not enough, pull him down. Totally take him down. I have sympathy for you. I think Crowder is a bigot. I think he's a homophobe. But what he said in those videos is not nearly enough to pull somebody down. Not even close. So, there we have it, and um, of course what we're going to get here is there's going to be people on the right who will only paint Crowder as a victim. Listen, he's not only a victim. Let's be clear. He's also a gigantic, monumental piece of shit who's wrong about virtually everything and who... um, who needs to be held accountable for that, and there need to be consequences for that. Now, those consequences shouldn't be demonetization or deplatforming. But, yeah, everybody should realize he's a fucking jackass, because he is, and they shouldn't watch his show. So, Crowder is not solely a victim. He's also a terrible person who's wrong about everything. So, the right is not going to acknowledge that. They're solely going to portray him as a victim. But then the left is also going to act like, um, you know... There's nothing wrong here that the left is doing in begging for YouTube to take action and begging for YouTube to censor and curate and play the middleman, play the daddy figure, the parent figure. The response from YouTube should have been, listen, that's just not what we do. That's not what we are. We don't even have that option. But no, they're going to kowtow to the crowd and they're going to, you know, be like, no, 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 see, we don't, we don't hate, uh, we don't hate gay people, 
See, we are going to act. See, we demonetize them. Good, good. Is that good enough? So, um, I hate where we're at now with the discourse. And, unfortunately, I will get a ton of shit for taking the position that I took. But I don't even think it's that tough of a case. I think it's pretty easy to say Steven Crowder is a giant piece of garbage. Steven Crowder is wrong about virtually everything. Um, and also, he shouldn't be deplatformed, and he shouldn't be demonetized. Um, and I also think the view that many people have of YouTube is just wrong. I think that it is the public square now. It is that YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook are so big and so powerful, and it is now our public square, our town square. And I think the only path forward that makes sense is you don't like, oh, it's just a private company. And they get to make whatever rules they want to make. Are we really kidding ourselves with that argument? I mean, just to be clear, that is a deeply conservative argument. I have the left position. And the left position is this 100% should be regulated as a public utility and First Amendment protections expanded. So the only time you can take action is if it's basically illegal, if it does cross the line into doxing or direct threats of violence or libel or slander. I think that that really are, there's only a very few fringe number of cases where you can act. And the rest of the time, it's live and let live, freedom of speech all day long. And let me be clear, that will benefit the left the most. Because whenever they start censoring, they will always come after the left. Always. Because we actually threaten power. The right likes to act like they're edgy and whatnot. They're power-serving sycophants. Steven Crowder is a power-serving sycophant. There's no fucking corporation on this planet that dislikes what Steven Crowder is doing, okay? Big corporations, because he fucking cheers on their tax cuts and wants them to run society and fucking hates workers and shit. So ultimately, it will always bite us in the ass. So you have to view this issue through the prism of what are my principles on it? That's the most important way to view it. And if you don't do that, I think you're making a mistake. And unfortunately, the door has now been opened and the demonetization is in full effect. And um, this all could have been avoided. Okay. Okay. How was that for a fucking insanely long segment? Let's go to Bernie Sanders. No, I'm sorry. Wait, are we doing Bernie or are we doing um, Biden? Oh, we're doing Bernie. Okay. I have a video for this. So yesterday, Bernie spoke at the Walmart shareholder meeting, and it was awesome.
many of these employees are forced to rely on government programs like food stamps, Medicaid, and public housing in order to survive. The CEO of Walmart making a thousand times more than the average Walmart employee. Last year, Walmart made nearly $10 billion in profit. It paid its CEO over $20 million in compensation, and it has authorized $20 billion in stock buybacks, which will benefit its wealthiest stockholders. Walmart should give a voice to its workers by allowing them seats on the board of directors. The concerns of workers, not just stockholders, should be part of board decisions. Walmart can strike a blow against corporate greed and a grotesque level of income and wealth inequality that exists in our country. Please do the right thing. Please pass this resolution. So, um, just to give you an idea of how awesome Bernie Sanders is, he was outside with the protesters, protesting with Walmart workers, and then he went inside and gave this speech to the board of directors, or the um, stockholders, and uh, he also, at the same time, had on his YouTube channel videos of Walmart workers being uploaded, where they tell you their personal stories. Short videos of people who work at Walmart saying, you know, um, here's what's going on, here's what happened to me, here's how we're paid, here's how we're treated, blah, blah, blah. So think about that, man. In one day, Bernie Sanders has done more for working people than Joe Biden has done in his entire fucking career. I would say that's a slight exaggeration, but it's really not. It's not. So this is happening at a time, and we'll get to the story in a little bit. What do you think Joe Biden is doing when Bernie is fighting for workers across the board here? raising money from big money donors. Of course. So this guy's the real deal, man. He's the real deal. And guess what? The CEO is feeling the pressure. So at the same time now, the CEO comes and is like, yeah, you know, totally, bro. 725 is way too low. They really got to increase the minimum wage. Okay, now will you do that? Well, see, what happened was... <laughs> So the CEO, he's saying like, oh, yeah, in principle, in theory, the Congress should raise the minimum wage. But what he's saying is I ain't doing shit unless and until they raise it, then maybe I'll raise it because I have to once they change the minimum wage. But, yeah, 725 is too low. So the pressure works. Remember, Bernie Sanders and Ro Khanna also got 350,000 Amazon workers a living wage. They got Disney workers a raise. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to pressure these companies, man. And it works. Pressure works. When, you, when he wrote, he came out with the Stop Bezos Act, Jeff Bezos went, holy fuck. And he was like, I got I to gotta get Congress off my ass. And so that's when he made the move. Now he's putting the pressure on Walmart, and they're beginning to buckle a little bit. Now we'll see when slash if they ultimately raise it at all. Again, I think they're waiting for Congress to act and then maybe... They have to react if it gets passed into law, but he's making giant strides, and it is wonderful. And um, 
just get, get this. If the minimum wage kept up with inflation from 1967, today it would be $10.70. So in other words, the minimum wage in 1967 was worth more than the minimum wage is worth today. Isn't that crazy? I think that's a stunning fact. Also, if it was linked to productivity, the minimum wage would be over $20 an hour. Again, mind-blowing. And this one, perhaps uh, a little less mind-blowing, is that if it, if, it was, if it grew like Wall Street bonuses grew, the minimum wage today would be $33 an hour. So what this shows is, you know, you've had productivity all go in a lopsided way to the mega rich and average workers are their wages are stagnant in the case of minimum wage workers it's actually worth less today than it was in the late 1960s so you think it's time to act i think it's time to act and before you step to me with some nonsense like well you can't do it because of business reasons and stuff and things and like unemployment bro go up and stuff and whatnot australia has um a minimum wage that is pretty high, pretty high. I think it's like, what is it, about $18 or something like that, 18 Australian dollars, which might be worth, worth not $18 U.S. dollars, but nonetheless, they have a minimum wage that's way higher than what we have, and there isn't, uh, you know, some sort of crisis and meltdown of the system, and oh my God, the economy collapsed. That's nonsense. What happens is you give people at the bottom who need more money, more money, and it actually ends up stimulating the economy because oftentimes they put that money right back into the system because they, you know, go pay their bills, go lease a car, go, you know, whatever it may be. Whereas you give money to the mega rich, they just stash it in an offshore bank account, don't even think about it, so it doesn't stimulate the economy as much. And, you know, there are places in Scandinavia, for example, that don't have a minimum wage, but that's because all of their wages are well above whatever any minimum wage would be because they have collective bargaining virtually across the board. So the unions negotiate awesome wages, and you don't, they don't have like a, a, a minimum wage because they don't really need it. So, hey, you want to switch to that system? I'm fine with that. Uh, I'll take either one. I'll take an a intelligent minimum wage increase, or we could just transfer over into a basically collective bargaining for all type situation. I'd totally be down with that. All right, next. CNBC has an incredible story about how brazen Joe Biden is being in his fundraising. Um, Take a look at this. If you want to be a member of the National Finance Committee for Joe Biden's 2020 presidential campaign, be prepared to raise up to $100,000. The former vice president's campaign is calling on its network of bundlers to help put together thousands of dollars in contributions. There are four tiers of fundraising in the Biden system, according to an invitation uh, CNBC obtained through a donor who recently sent in a contribution. The advocate group requires members to raise $25,000 by June 30th. The protector group 
uh, requires its members to bring in $50,000 in 2019. A unifier must rake in $100,000 this year. A power raiser must acquire 10 unique contributions of $100 or more each month. Each of these donations must be from a different new-to-you donor, according to the invitation. The invitation pitches donors and fundraisers a chance to be one of Biden's most dedicated supporters and to help fuel a professional and inclusive campaign. So at a time when other candidates are either swearing off big donors completely or um, at least going through the motions to make it appear like, oh, I don't like the big donors at all. Joe Biden is like, I don't give a fuck. Okay, so come on. Oh, more for me. More big donors for me, baby. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. All day long, bitch. And that just tells you the kind of guy he is and the kind of politician he is and who he wants to represent. We covered the video. There was a video of him from one of his uh, previous presidential campaigns, and he's like, well, listen, if, if somebody raises me a tremendous amount of money and then they call me and they say, hey, man, I want to talk to you, I say, well, of course, come on in. <laughs> doesn't mean, he said, doesn't mean they own me, but it doesn't mean you're going to do favors for them because they gave you money, and that was your point. Like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll help you out. That's the problem. That's the problem, Joe. You're supposed to represent the people, not special interests, not private donors, not people with an agenda. I mean, you're supposed to represent the American people. Present your ideas. The American people will donate to you. Then you try to get those ideas implemented. You're the Hillary Clinton philosophy. I got public positions. I got private positions. You want to give me money? Okay, then we'll meet behind closed doors. And what do you want? You want a tax break? You want to be able to, you know, stash your money in an offshore tax haven? Well, if you gave me enough money... I'll look out for you. Delaware is a state that caters to big business on another level. So many corporations are stationed in Delaware because they have, like, no transparency laws and they got a super low tax rate and all that stuff. So Joe Biden is totally cool with that. This is Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a good old boy-style politician. And, again, this happening at a time when, you know, Bernie Sanders, no big money. By the way, um... They're smearing Tulsi because there was an article the other day in Fox Business um, that said she's raising money from Wall Street. It turns out, no, she's not raising money from Wall Street at all. She's doing a fundraiser at a surgeon's house, and the surgeon's house is in New York City. And they made the argument, oh, no, New York City fundraisers are Wall Street fundraisers. Who's the original source? Charlie Gasparino, who's a fucking fraud, and this is a guy who's on Fox Business every now and then as a contributor. I don't trust that guy at all, not even close. The guy's a fucking idiot and a loser, and I've covered his stuff before on the show to make fun of it because it's so bad. I don't trust those guys. So just be careful with, you know, all the reporting to see who actually is raising money from big donors, um, who isn't doing that, and where people are getting their money, how they're getting their money. But, yeah, needless to say, in this corrupt system that we have, best-case scenario is most of your money comes from small donors, and then in the case of Bernie, for example, Bernie does take some PAC money, but it's only um, union PAC. Now, you could argue that also might be a little bit of a problem because every now and then the unions are wrong on an issue like, you know, Keystone XL pipeline or whatever. They wanted that pipeline, and so they were probably lobbying for that. Um, but they are overall a much less scary special interest. So if you, you know, raise money from lawyers, you raise money from teachers, you raise money from unions, yeah, that's a special interest. And you could say, on principle, I'm against raising money from PACs, but just 
you have to make a distinction, though, between that and corporate PACs who have a much more odious agenda. And so in the case of Bernie and in the case of many others, many other good politicians, they mostly raise from small donors and then sprinkle in a little bit of, like, union PAC money and some other kinds of money. So um, you have to go through these things with a fine-tooth comb. In the case of Joe Biden, it's not even close. Joe Biden is selling out to the mega rich, that's crystal clear, and he's not even really trying to mask it, not even really trying to hide it. I need Bernie to be on the stage with him for the debates, and my guess is that's not going to happen. And I don't think that's going to happen because I think the DNC is going to do a little Weasley nonsense to try to make it so it doesn't happen. They're going to change the rules a little bit or, you know, rig the process a little bit so they go, oh, look at that, Bernie and Biden didn't make it on the same stage. Why? Because then, uh, you know, it's easier for Biden to get away with his bullshit. I think, it's, I think there's a decent chance Bernie and Biden aren't on the same stage, and also Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are on the same stage with each other and not with Biden. So who will go after Biden? you got to hope, like, Tulsi's on the stage with Biden and go after him. That's, that's what I think we might have to rely on, because I think they're going to try to protect his ass in a similar way to how they protected Hillary. But all this is right out there for everybody to see. And as somebody said on Twitter, I love, I love how they're running a campaign as if people can't see what they're doing. <laughs> we see what you're doing, and we fucking hate it, Joe. You're terrible. Okay. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we got Eric Swalwell an irrelevant Democrat polling at 0%. Hilarious video about him. Then I have workers in the Rust Belt turn on Trump. And I also have um, amateur hour at Fox News. The arguments that they're making against the Democratic candidates are maybe worse than they've ever made. So stay right there. We'll have that and much more.
Alright y'all, we back Okay, let's talk about Eric Swalwell We will be the only people in the country doing that today Because nobody cares about him (laughs) It's kind of funny, also just very sad for him I do have a very, very short clip to show you of him here So Eric Swalwell is uh, an irrelevant Democrat running for president. He's polling at 0%. So he decided to get crafty here. He would probably call it crafty. I would call it desperate. Um, He released a video that's a political ad, and the ad is him changing his daughter's diaper. If Eric Swalwell can clean up his daughter's shit, he can clean up the shit in Washington. How many goofy, overpaid Democratic strategists and staffers did it take to come up with this terrible idea? Can you imagine being Eric Swalwell and talking to his wife and going, Honey, I'm not saying I want to use our newborn daughter for a political ad, but we should probably use our newborn daughter in a political ad. Dude, what are you doing? Listen, in many ways, you can blame um, me in part for this. Um, Really more AOC. (laughs) But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, of course, is one of the originators of this idea of like, hey, I'm a politician, but I'm also just a regular person. And so, yeah, sometimes I'll do some live streams. Sometimes I'll just talk real casual. I'll tweet shit. Um, And it's really even a step further than Trump. Trump is the Twitter president, but AOC and the younger generation, we use social media like one would use social media if they've always done it. And um, this is Eric Swalwell's attempt to do that. And, you know, Ever since AOC did it, and the reason why I said you could partly blame me is that I'm one of the co-founders of Justice Democrats, and AOC is a Justice Democrat. Um, So, but you saw, like, Elizabeth Warren trying to do the same thing. Uh, Here I am, and I would like to drink a beer with my husband. Oh, yes, this beer is wonderful. Do all of you out there in Internetsville like beer? I like it. (laughs) Like, The number one rule of doing the Internet, if you're a presidential candidate or just any politician, is it has to be natural. It has to be organic. People will roll with it if it's organic. If it's overly coached and you're strategizing and it's clear you thought too much about it, you look like a fucking jackass. You want to know why? Because you're a fucking jackass. So this is like when Beto was, like, live-streaming his haircut and shit. It's like, dude... No, you thought about this too much. You will, uh, oh, I have an idea. I will live stream my haircut, and that will make me more relatable and more likable. Oh, God damn it. Uh, Swalwell was like, yeah, let me show the world that I changed my daughter's diaper. See, I'm a hands-on dad, and hands-on dads are good people. And also, it can make the clever point of, I'll clean up the shit in Washington, too. No, what you look like is a desperate person resorting to desperate measures 
to try to score cheap points and rise in the polls. That's what this is. Change your daughter's diaper. Jesus Christ, man. How about have original policy ideas that are brilliant, that help the people? Now, I'm not an Andrew Yang supporter in the sense that I won't be voting for Andrew Yang, um, but the dude is running and he actually believes in the shit he's running on. I have disagreements with him on a variety of issues, but he's running on universal basic income. I like universal basic income, and he's the originator of making that the thing he's running on. Like he's, This is front and center in his campaign, and this is really why he's running. That's somebody who has, who should be in the race on that alone because he believes in something and he's arguing for it and he's pushing it and nobody else was talking about it. Eric Swalwell, what are you bringing to the table? I'll tell you what he's bringing to the table. Nonstop Russiagate hysteria. Russia, 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 Russia. That's Eric Swalwell's campaign. And, oh, look at me, aren't I relatable? I changed my daughter's diaper. By the way, he was absolutely dunked on on social media for this. You want to know why? Because everybody saw through it. There's a reason why people don't go after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez simply for using social media, and a reason why they do go after you for it, and they do go after Beto. Because you're overcoached, you thought about it too much, you're, you're trying to calculate. People don't like that when there's multiple layers of analysis, when there's like, you know, I'm, I want to come across as X way, so I will take the steps to appear X way without actually being X way. That's what people don't like. They don't like the multiple layers of analysis going on in your brain. It's deceptive. Whereas somebody like AOC, somebody like um, even Trump when he tweets, it's just like fucking, Bleh, here it is. <laughs> like, it is uh, I'm actually thinking this, and I'm actually just going to say it. That's better, because at least it's palatable. This is not at all palatable. And your poor fucking daughter, imagine when the daughter's like 15 or whatever, and she's like, I can't believe you released a campaign ad that involved me shitting. She's going to be mortified, man. Like, why, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And on an unrelated note, all the parents out there who like to take pictures of their kids in the bathtub, stop. <laughs> stop. Nobody wants to see that, and the people who do want to see that want to see it for all the wrong reasons, and you don't want to put that out there. So, anyway, I digress from that. Eric Swalwell, I don't know what you're doing, bro. I, I mean, I do know what you're doing. You're on an ego trip, and you think people like you. We don't. <laughs> it's not even close. Okay, next. MSNBC and their decent job with this um, town hall. I'm actually very pleasantly surprised about this. So MSNBC had on Elizabeth Warren for a town hall and they spoke to laid-off factory workers, um, and what they think about Trump, this is pretty interesting. You may remember shortly after he won in 2016, but before he was sworn in, Donald Trump famously came to Indiana to the Carrier Heating and Air Conditioning Factory, along with Mike Pence, to make a big show. 
show about he personally having saved over 1,100 jobs from going to Mexico. Thanks to the initiative and the leadership of President-elect Donald Trump, the carrier has decided to stay and grow right here in America. Companies are not going to leave the United States anymore without consequences. The deal was largely smoke and mirrors, and Carrier would go on to have round after round of layoffs. Hundreds of jobs did in fact go to Mexico, where workers make around three bucks an hour. And the laid-off Carrier workers who voted for Trump, like Renee Elliott, were left to fend for themselves. We have Renee Elliott, who you saw there. She was also in the room when the man that she voted for came to Carrier to take credit for saving her job, which she then was uh, lost. We have another carrier worker, Frank Staple. He is now out on medical leave. He was a worker at Carrier for 14 years, and he broke in Bernie Sanders in the 2016 presidential election. We have Susan Cropper, who's laid off from her job at United Technologies after 31 years on the job. She voted for Donald Trump as well in 2016. And rounding our group to her voice, she's a single mother who works in a restaurant and voted for Hillary Clinton. Um, let me start with you, Renee, because, you know, Donald Trump came to place by Hillary and said very clearly, like, I'm not going to let the job leave. He came here and said, I'm not going to let Tara leave. And then they left. What do you feel about the guy now? Uh, so deep. I, I don't have a lot of faith Right here in the United States of America. You have to build those jobs. 
So we're going to get to a story a little bit later in the show about um, the downside, the negative of Elizabeth Warren. And it is, it's devastating. It's devastating. I'll bite my lip on that, though, because on this issue, she knocked it out of the park. And this gets to um, a point that I've made repeatedly, which is on Wall Street policy and on tax policy, uh, that's her wheelhouse. And she's right about all that stuff. And she loves it. Um, and also, I guess, when it comes to an infrastructure deal or when it comes to a Green New Deal, I mean, she's talking about creating millions of jobs um, to revitalize the industrial Midwest and do it particularly to deal with climate change. I mean, that's wonderful. And um, she deserves a hell of a lot of credit for it. And this is actually a great, you'll almost never hear me say this sentence anymore. This was a great move by MSNBC because what are they doing? They're going right into Trump's backyard. They're going right into his house. Because this is the area of the country that really turned over the election of Donald Trump. And they're talking to the disaffected factory workers. And uh, they're telling them straight up, yeah, Trump was a fraud. He promised X, Y, and Z. He didn't deliver on X, Y, and Z. We're doing worse off here. I've reported on this show 93,000 jobs were outsourced in Trump's first year as president. That's even more than Obama was 87,000 his last year. That's more than Obama. And Trump ran as the anti-outsourcing guy. So it's insanity, but these people know, yes, the carrier thing was a fucking, it was, it was a political trick. It was smoke and mirrors. It wasn't true. It was trying to score a political win and then turning around and doing absolutely nothing, and then they outsourced the jobs anyway. So um, great of them to highlight these workers and what they're going through and their plight, and also great of Elizabeth Warren to um, basically make the exact correct argument on this front, which is, I have a plan, and we kill two birds with one stone. We kill two birds with one stone. We get to fight back against climate change and create millions of infrastructure jobs, and this is our, our new version of a new deal. That's what this is. Um, now, I would say it's three birds with one stone, but the third, the third bird would have had to be, uh, and oh yeah, we're going to finance it, at least in part, by ending our offensive regime change wars. On that one, Elizabeth Warren is kind of absent and missing. And again, more on that later. But um, this was awesome. And it's also great to see how the factory workers are going, yeah, I was duped. I was wrong. Trump did not do what he said he would do. And that's not disputable. Okay. All right, now let's talk about climate change. Democratic presidential candidate Jay Inslee requested a debate topic to the DNC for the, um, you know, 2020 primary. And that topic is climate change. Here's what happened next. Today, my team received a call from the Democratic National Committee letting us know that they will not host a climate debate. Further, they explained that if we participated in anyone else's climate debate, we will not be invited to future debates. This is deeply disappointing. The DNC is silencing the voices of Democratic activists, many of our progressive partner organizations, and nearly half of the Democratic presidential field who want to debate the existential crisis of our time. 
Democratic voters say that climate change is their top issue. The Democratic National Committee must listen to the grassroots of the, of the party. Quote, we are running out of time. We've kicked the can down the road for too long. The climate crisis merits a full discussion of our plans, not a short exchange of talking points. The next president must make defeating the climate crisis the top priority of the nation, and I will continue to do everything I humanly can to ensure that climate, that climate change is at the top of the national agenda. So, um, wow, let me repeat that. He got a call, his team got a call from the DNC, and they said, we're not going to host a climate debate. And furthermore, if you participated in anyone else's climate debate, you're not going to be invited to any future debate. So you made the first debate, you'll be in that, but you're not going to go to any future debate. I don't know how any one organization can routinely get so much wrong. Well, actually, I do know. The RNC is like that. (laughs) But the DNC is really bad as well. I mean, what the fuck are you doing, bro? You have to at least even, like, you have to know the optics of this. Now, the counter-argument is, well, no, all the candidates signed an agreement with the DNC early on that only the DNC hosts the official debates. So technically, if Jay Inslee wanted to do a climate change forum, um, he could do that, but you'd have to call it a forum for whatever kind of technical reasons or legal reasons. I don't fucking know. But the fact that the DNC doesn't get the optics of that, Because, listen, one of the issues that is always missing from a presidential election and the debates is climate change. Oftentimes, homelessness is missing. They never talk about homelessness, ever. Poverty, they even rarely mention poverty. They'll talk about the middle class, but they'll never talk about poverty or homeless people. But another thing that's missing is climate change. They just don't value it as much as it should be valued, as much as it should be discussed. I mean, it is a crisis. It requires mass mobilization ASAP yesterday, yesteryear. But they're just like, I don't know, man. doesn't affect me right now, so not really thinking about it. Actually, it does kind of affect all of us right now. I mean, this is why we're seeing, as all the evidence shows, all the data shows, and scientists have expounded on in the past, we're seeing the effects of it right now. You know, more powerful hurricanes happening more often, droughts that last longer, um, the list goes on and on. We've seen, like, year after year, all record heat this year, all record heat the next year, just keeps happening. So perhaps the worst effects haven't taken hold yet, but they're coming. And Jay Inslee knows that, and he wants to stop it, and the DNC is doing everything they can to not accommodate him. Now, Jay Inslee is not on my list of, like, you know, top contenders or people I would vote for in the primary. But having said that, I think it's good that there's somebody out there who's running and putting climate change front and center because it is incredibly important. And I think the DNC is as shitty as we already knew they were. I mean, imagine doing that and not expecting the backlash. Like, for them to actually say, no, we're not going to host a climate change debate, you could have easily just said yes. I mean, how many debates are there scheduled? There's definitely enough where one of them can be on climate change. I mean, I guess there's a fair count argument to say, well, then why not do one on Medicare for all alone or health care alone? Why not do one on, I don't know, war alone? So, I mean, that's a fair counter argument. And yes, maybe you open Pandora's box. But at the very least, you could have said, you know what? We understand how big of an issue this is. So therefore, if you wanted to set up your own climate change debate and invite others, we'll, on this one instance, look the other way. And you don't have to call it a forum. You can call it a debate, and you could set it up like a debate, because that was the key. He wanted to set it up like a debate. So 
the DNC, tone deaf and wrong as always. Okay, Dems found a new way to resist without resisting. Let's talk about that. So Democrats in Washington, D.C. found a new way to resist without resisting. Um, This is, in my opinion, rather sad. House Democrats plan to hold an event intended to highlight what they say is President Trump's deteriorating mental health. House Budget Committee Chairman John Yarmuth said he and Representative Jamie Raskin would host Dr. Bandy Lee, a Yale School of Medicine psychiatrist who edited the best-selling book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, Psychiatrists and Mental Health Experts Assess a President. We are planning to do something where she can make a presentation to other members, so that they'll be aware of what she's been working on, Yarmouth told The Hill in a brief interview. Yarmouth said he anticipates the event, which was first reported by the Washington Examiner, will happen sometime in July. Yarmouth said he thinks it's important that members of Congress and the public understand the position of Lee and the other psychologists in the book, which argues that Trump's mental health has deteriorated to the point where it poses a threat to the country. Here's the thing. On ideology alone, Donald Trump poses a threat to the country. So that's a very different thing from saying, oh, on mental health, he poses a threat to the country. No, even if he was of perfectly sound mind, on ideology alone, he poses a threat to the country. And that's the problem with this. The problem with this is, and then what? And then what? So, oh, we're going to host a fucking event where we all talk about how the president is so crazy. Isn't he crazy? Oh, yeah, man, I think he's crazy. Don't you think he's crazy? Oh, yeah, bro, I think he's really crazy. Uh, I think he's stupid. Do you think he's stupid? Oh, yeah, bro, he's totally stupid. I think he might literally have uh, mental health problems. Don't you think so? Yeah, man, totally, mental health problems. And then what? And then, no, and then. And then, no, and then. So they want to do all this and then walk out um, with their chest puffed out, feeling all good about themselves. Like, bro, you know what I did today, bro? I saved the country. You know why I did it? I held hearings that said Donald Trump is, like, bad, and Donald Trump has, like, mental health issues, all right? So got him. Thank you very much. This is, like, the political equivalent of just jerking each other off. (laughs) They're doing a circle jerk in the room. They're like, oh, yeah, isn't Trump stupid? Yeah, Trump's stupid. Oh, yeah, isn't Trump stupid? Yeah, Trump's really stupid. Oh, doesn't he have mental health problems? Oh, yeah, he has mental health problems. I'm totally getting this. This video is 100% getting demonetized just for that alone. <laughs> no, but that's what, that's, that's what they're doing. So the thing that frustrates me is faux resistance. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Because it's the appearance of being brave without actually being brave. So what is actually brave? Donald Trump is trying to get us into war with Venezuela and trying to get us into war with Iran. We are going to do everything in our power to stop it. We are going to try to force through Congress a resolution that says you cannot do anything in Venezuela or Iran without congressional approval because that's what the Constitution says. 
So you're not going to start another war. We're going to stop you. We're going to do everything we can to stop you. We're also calling for John Bolton to be fired, and we're going to hold a hearing about all of his war crimes, and we're going to demand that you take action, and we're going to try to make this front-page news. This is actually resisting, because what you're doing is you're taking tangible steps that have a political goal, and maybe the goal gets reached, maybe it doesn't get reached, but at least you're trying to reach a goal. There's no goal here. There's no goal here. It's Trump is bad, and Trump has mental health problems. And by the way, look, let's be serious. This is a little bit, and I've never used this word before, but I can see it in this situation, ableist. Because you're not saying Trump is bad and Trump is wrong because of X, Y, and Z policies, his ideology, his philosophy, or his lack thereof. What you're saying is Trump's mental health issues, that's the problem. So let's talk about how the mental health issues are so bad and so wrong and so terrible, and people with mental health issues should never in any situation be in positions of power. Well, it depends. What kind of mental health issues are we talking about? Are they manageable? Can you take medication? Are they mental health issues that only affect the individual? Are they mental health issues that affect other people? It's just it's so sloppy, and it's so gross, and it's just like, I don't know. Just, he's, got, he's, he's fucking crazy, all right, guys? He's crazy. He's deteriorating mental health. By the way, this breaks like the number one rule of psychology and psychiatry, which is you don't diagnose somebody from far away. And you don't talk about this stuff publicly. That was the re- I remember talking to my um, psychology professor uh, back in high school, and we, I mentioned Dr. Phil, and he's like, hate that guy. I'm like, why? That's weird. He's like, he breaks the number one rule of psychology and, and psychiatry, which is you don't air the stuff out in public. That's, that's like literally counterproductive to if you're actually trying to help the person. So this is the same kind of bullshit. It's like, oh, I'm a psychiatrist, and I'm going to come to you with the appearance of just being like an objective, scientific-minded person who's trying to make the situation better. And it's that you're not, there's, you're not doing anything but just saying, oh, my God, he's so bad, he's so wrong, he's so stupid, he's so crazy. And I'm going to give you fucking reasons for that. I'm going to link it all just to his mental health state. I just spit all over the place. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Anyway, um, no, I want you to resist while resisting. Like, actually do something tangible as opposed to just making yourself feel good by doing shit like this. There's no end goal here. You're just making yourself feel good. And it's fucking tasteless and stupid. Again, nothing is going to come of this. Except you just feel better about yourself because you got to call the president stupid and crazy. Listen, even I guarantee you, you will find psychologists and psychiatrists who hate Donald Trump who will tell you that they should not be doing this at all. Not even close. Uh, you are violating some major tenets of psychiatry, and they know they're doing that, and they don't care because it's more of a political hatchet job than it is resisting on substance and actually trying to make a difference. So it is amateur hour at the RNC and on Fox News, and they invited on um, RNC spokeswoman Elizabeth Harrington to comment on the Democratic primary. And I really don't know where they find these people, but nonetheless, here are her comments. 
choice in 2020, and the president is exactly right. He said there are no Winston Churchills. But, you know, I do see quite a few Benito Mussolinis in the Democratic field, and now it's about running, getting the trains to run on time in Hawaii because they're talking about banning airplanes in 10 years. The Democrat is pushing a radical agenda. We're not going to turn Bard to the left in 2020. We're going to stick with the progress he's made. Wow. I, I would imagine that... What? <laughs> I don't... Oh, God, man. Oh, this really is amateur hour. Where do they find these people? Where do they find these people? I thought there would be some connection that she makes at some point. Like, okay, the Democrats are like Mussolini because here's a reason where you can stretch and say maybe even, oh, no, but maybe. There was nothing. It was like, oh, the Democrats are Mussolini because something about running the trains on time in Hawaii. By the way, the problem with Mussolini was not that he made trains run on time. <laughs> just to be clear, just to be clear, maybe the bigger problem was like, you know, being Adolf Hitler's top ally and working uh, along with him and uh, being a vicious authoritarian goon. But I digress from that. I like how we got from Democrats or Mussolini to they want to ban airplanes in 10 years. I love the flippant, the flippant reaction from the far right when people on the left talk about very serious issues. So in other words, here's what they mean. They mean that under a Green New Deal and under you know, any sane, reasonable um, platform moving forward when it comes to climate change, we are going to transition off of fossil fuel. So we're not, it's not like we all woke up one day and say, like, let's do that just for shits and giggles. <laughs> no, we went, oh my goodness, look at what every serious scientist on the planet is saying on this issue about climate change. We have to act. We should have acted fucking yesterday. We should have acted yesteryear. Okay, well, we got to act now then. So we need to get off of fossil fuels. Let's implement a plan to create millions of infrastructure jobs and transition off of fossil fuels. And what they do is they take that very serious, correct position, and they spin it, and they go, oh, yeah, you want to you ban airplanes in 10 years. Does anybody really believe that the left supports, well, let's get rid of airplanes, and then let's have nothing to replace it, so, like, all airports shut down, there's no more air travel, and we're done with that. Who in their right fucking mind is going to go, yeah, that's what the left wants? How fucking stupid do you have to be? How far up your own ass do you have to be? I mean, you got to be huffing your own farts all day to make yourself believe. Yeah, they just want to ban airplanes. No. We want to transition off of fossil fuels. Full stop. We'll figure out the details, but air travel will still be allowed, you fucking giant asshole, okay? Jesus fucking Christ, how do I have to say this? How do I have to say this? How do I have to come out here and make this fucking argument? But I do, but I do. Because fucking RNC loser nobody, Elizabeth Harrington, has some thoughts for you, and Fox News would love to broadcast them to the world. Democrats are like Mussolini because Moose, because they wanna they wanna they wanna ban the airplanes. <laughs> oh, how smart you are! Did you know? Okay, you're gonna love this. You're gonna love this. She tweeted that. <laughs> she tweeted that, and she on some like me, bro. 
not a big deal or anything. I just nailed it on Fox News. I accused my political opposition of being like Mussolini because something, something ban airplanes. You're wrong on multiple levels of analysis. We don't want to ban airplanes, and we're not like Mussolini. By the way, these are the same people that will turn around in the next breath and argue like, oh, it's so wonderful that, you know, Donald Trump just gave billions of dollars worth of weapons to a government that is literally committing a genocide. Saudi Arabia is committing a genocide in Yemen. They're blockading the country. They're not allowing in food and medicine. There's a cholera outbreak. Women and children are dying. They're bombing them endlessly. So Donald Trump, let's see, what's the logical connection here? Donald Trump is allying with the government committing a genocide. Who's who has fucking done that? Were they allied with the government that committed a fucking genocide? Who did that? Who was like fucking Mussolini, you fucking jackass? Ah! <laughs> now, I would not have made that point had it not been for dipshit McBleach my brainington if she didn't go out there and say, Democrats like Mussolini because they don't want no damn airplanes and stuff. I wouldn't have come out here and made that point, but you, you forced my hand. You know that, right? And guess who's got the better argument? No, I'm not saying Donald Trump is Mike, like Mussolini, but I am saying, hey, bitch, if we're going to measure, I can tell you who's a little bit closer on that political spectrum. Sorry, you asked for it. Next. Let's go to Greg Gutfeld. Greg Gutfeld is a bitch. Greg Gutfeld is a bitch. I don't know where the video is. Where is it? Oh, I got it. Here we go. So Fox host Greg Gutfeld made the argument that uh, Donald Trump is more anti-establishment than Bernie Sanders. This is a special kind of stupid. Um, I notice I have the wrong fucking thing behind me. Let's see if I can find the right one as we talk here. Greg Gutfeld. That's not Greg Gutfeld. <laughs> and Greg Gutfeld. There he is. Anyway, <laughs> where was I? Um, you know, he thinks he's a comedian. I'm not sure who's, who's, who's less funny, Greg Gutfeld or Steven Crowder. That's a close one. That's like the best unfunny off on the planet. Pretty sure even people who have never once in their life tried to be funny are funnier than both of these losers. So anyway, here he is. He's going to make this horrendously stupid point. Take a look. Sometimes the truth comes from the most surprising places. Look what just fell out of the mouth of an old socialist. In a recent interview, Bernie Sanders said the Democrats selecting Joe Biden as a nominee will be making the same blunder they did with Hillary. Remember, she lost, then blamed the Russians, and wandered in the woods for a month. Bernie bashed three of Biden's stances that he shared with Hillary. 
that he voted for NAFTA and permanent normalized trade relations with China and the war in Iraq. These positions, say Bernie, won't rally young people, working people, or people of color. So Bernie's saying the winning candidate should be against NAFTA, be against normalized trade with China, and the war in Iraq. If that's the case, Bernie just endorsed Trump for a second <laughs> term. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, I get it. Bernie thought he was talking about himself, since most people aren't. But in staking out that turf, he just admitted he wants what Trump said he wants. Now, Bernie, in case you're napping, Trump already blew up NAFTA. He's challenged China, and he's denounced recent foreign wars. Sure, Bernie may be casting himself as the outsider looking to unseat the establishment, but he's way too late. The establishment is the pack of left-wing libs worshiping at the feet of AOC and the New York Times editorial board. The real outsider right now is already in the White House. Kind of obvious. Oh, that's so dumb it hurt to listen to. I love how he lumped together Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the New York Times editorial board. That's, his, that's how deep his understanding of the left goes. He's like, yeah, that's the establishment. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, the New York Times editorial board. <laughs> First of all, the left beats up on the New York Times editorial board all the time. All the time. They get stuff wrong nonstop. Okay? Second of all, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the establishment. She beat corrupt Joe Crowley. When he outraised her like 10 to 1, she only took small dollar donations, and she was running on a platform that the establishment, it's the last thing the establishment would ever want to see implemented. Medicare for all, free college, living wage, ending the wars, Green New Deal, so on and so forth. She's the establishment? She's despised by the establishment. Stop it, Greg. Just stop it. Okay, now, here's the thing. I don't know. Does he really believe this, or is he just making the argument? But when he says, like, come on, man, the actual, you know, the establishment hates Trump. Okay, that tax bill, they couldn't have imagined in their wildest dreams. That's exactly what they wanted. Every piece of that tax bill is, is like you got in a room with all of the CEOs of the multinational corporations, and they told you word for word what to put down on the page, and you did, and you passed it, and they love you for it. Okay. Don't give me this nonsense, man. Don't give me this bullshit of like, oh, the establishment is against Trump. Really? Go talk to the military-industrial complex. How are they doing? Go talk. Look at what's happening with the stock market. And not a reflection of how your average worker is doing, a reflection of how the rich are doing, and a reflection of how corporations are doing. So the establishment loves him. The only thing they don't like are the mean tweets. That's it. Everything else they love about him. Now, to get more specific, even the, the examples he gives... He goes, oh, Bernie says you should be against NAFTA, you should be against permanent normal trade relations with China, you should have been against the war in Iraq. Dude, Donald Trump replaced NAFTA with NAFTA 2.0, which is basically NAFTA. Now, I've done the segment. I went through it with a fine-tooth comb. The deal is overwhelmingly similar. In some very minor ways, it's better. But in more ways, it's worse. Don't give me this, like, oh... Yeah, man, he's fighting the establishment by replacing one shitty trade deal with another shitty trade deal. Um, and on the China trade point, like, okay, yeah, Trump is sometimes, um, sometimes takes a protectionist approach on trade. But the details matter, you dipshit. If he wants to spark a trade war, everybody's worse off. Now, if you want to be intelligent in how you 
implement tariffs, and you want to negotiate and get good trade deals, that's a different story. But he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Nobody would argue he knows what the fuck he's doing. If you actually look at what's happened, in a lot of these industries he's trying to help with his tariffs, he's actually hurt those industries. Now, there are a few minor industries where there's been an uptick because it helped. But in more industries than not, the tariffs hurt. So he's not going about it the right way. Just because you philosophically might have a, a position that's correct doesn't mean that the implementation of it made sense because it didn't. He botched it a zillion ways, which shouldn't be surprising from somebody who fucking has an administration of people who don't even believe in this philosophy. Um, and also, Trump himself is a shitty negotiator and businessman. He went bankrupt six times, so he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's botching this a thousand ways to Sunday. And finally, on the Iraq war. Good point, Greg, which is why Donald Trump pulled us out of Iraq. Ew, he didn't. That's right. He didn't pull us out of Iraq. Not even close. He didn't pull us out of Iraq. He didn't pull us out of Afghanistan. He didn't pull us out of anywhere. All he's done is escalate. All he's done is double down. All he's done is move in a more hawkish direction. We're permanently in Syria. Permanently. He tweeted like a month or two back, like, we're getting out of Afghanistan. And then we didn't. So he's ineffectual at best, a liar at worst. That's the reality of the situation. So I know you're big on your whole, you know, like, rah, rah, Trump, I'm a little bitch. But, you know, you got to at least be accurate. And you're not. It's fine if you get things right and then you disagree with me. That's totally fine. I, I can take that. I'm a big boy. But, no, you're just wrong on the facts. So, no, I can't take that. I'm going to mock you for it because you're an idiot. And also, you're not even close to funny. Okay. All right, let me take my final break. When we come back, I still have some awesome stories for you. I got one more on Elizabeth Warren, then I got Kanye West. Um, then I have a bill about the Electoral College, and you are not going to want to miss that. All right. Stay right there. We'll be right back with all that and more.
Son of a bitch. All right, we're back. We are back. We are back. You are a bitch. Um. <clears throat> All right, we're going to get to the Elizabeth Warren story in a second. Real quick, though, I just learned about this, and I think it's pretty relevant and interesting to the first story we covered. Apparently, Carlos Maza has tweeted that conservatives should be milkshaked. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, good for you. That means you're not plugged in 24-7 and you actually live a life. Um, But that was this trend that was happening in the UK where these conservative politicians would have uh, milkshakes thrown on them. And the idea is like to parody them and mock them. And I think in the UK, a milkshake is just milk. It's not actually like with ice cream and stuff. So but it's throwing milk at people in public to mock them and make them look silly. Um, now, does that cross the line? Well, yeah, it crosses the line of you shouldn't, like, physically touch anybody. I mean, I would argue there's no actual harm being done, but at the same time it's still wrong because you're imposing on somebody's physical being in a way that shouldn't be allowed. So Carlos Maza tweeting that, conservative should be milkshaked, but at the same time, he's calling for Steven Crowder to be pulled down from YouTube because, uh, you know, Steven Crowder called him a lispy queer and all that stuff. Well, conservatives are obviously going to flip right back on you. The idea that you called for, you know, a admittedly very mild form of violence, but you did call for something that crosses the line into getting physical Obviously, the conservatives are going to flip it on you and say, you should be pulled out from Twitter. You should be pulled out from YouTube. Look, you advocated for violence. Imagine if Steven Crowder said to Carlos Maza, hey, people should milkshake you. I don't like your videos, and people should milkshake you. My guess is that Carlos Maza would have used that against Steven Crowder as a reason to deplatform him. So listen. Careful what you wish for. This is what people need to understand. All right, enough about that story. I literally did a 50-minute segment on that story. I think we can move on from that now. But I feel like it was absolutely necessary to get every aspect of the story out there. All right, let's talk about Elizabeth Warren, and let's talk about um, uh, an interesting article that I stumbled across. So I stumbled across an interesting article here from 2015 about Elizabeth Warren, and um, it's pretty pertinent to the current primary. Elizabeth Warren standing as a liberal warrior immune to the influence of big business hasn't stopped her from pushing the interests of major defense contractors back home. This is from Politico. Warren has fought to stop the Army from shifting funds away from a Massachusetts-built communications network to pay for unanticipated costs associated with the war in Afghanistan. She's lobbied for problem-plagued general dynamics, made the general dynamics made tactical radios, and she pledged to protect Westover Air Reserve Base from the Budget Acts, all while saying she supports targeted cuts elsewhere. It's a delicate stance in a state where defense giant Raytheon is one of the largest employers and brings in billions of dollars each year in federal contracts. The freshman Democrat from Massachusetts insists 
she's not running for president, despite a movement to draft her, but if she did and took on frontrunner Hillary Clinton, she'd likely face scrutiny over the way she balanced her populist views with her sometimes penchant for pursuing the well-worn practice of pork barrel politics. Now, let's, let's be clear about something up front here. There's a reason why this article ran. You want to know why this article ran? Because Hillary's people planted it. So, in other words, they were afraid Elizabeth Warren was going to run, and this was a shot across the bow. This was a preemptive warning. This was a, you better not do it, because it's Hillary's race. It's Hillary's nomination. End of story. So what do they do? They float some stories about, you know, we'll, we'll come after you. This is one of those stories. Oh, you want to come after us and pretend like you're this populist uh, lefty hero? Well, no. How about we talk about your record on foreign policy and, oh, would you look at that? You have a record of helping the military-industrial complex because there are a lot of jobs in Massachusetts tied to the military-industrial complex. So admittedly, the reason why this story was planted is bullshit Machiavellian politics. But having said that, the facts are what they are, and this is a part of Elizabeth Warren's record that is concerning. And then, to put the cherry on top, she goes on to prove it even further by voting for Donald Trump's massive, massive military budgets. Giant increases to military spending. She votes yes. So out of the one side of her mouth, she talks about how Donald Trump is a Manchurian candidate and Donald Trump is a lunatic who shouldn't be anywhere near that red button. And then at the other side of her mouth, she goes, let's give him more funding for his personal military because he is the commander in chief. Even if it wasn't Donald Trump, it would be an egregious vote because we don't need more military spending. We spend more than the next 10 biggest nations combined, and most of them are our allies. But when you add the fact that Donald Trump is, he is the one in charge, it's even worse. Listen, I'm just here to report the information to you guys. You do with this information what you will. There are positive parts of Elizabeth Warren on tax policy and on Wall Street policy um, and on an infrastructure deal. She's great. But on foreign policy, man, this is such a giant blind spot, even bigger than I thought. And now you know the reason, too. Now, I don't think it's because of her taking defense contractor money, because I don't even know if she did. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But what I think it really has to do with is, in her case, the actual job. She doesn't want Massachusetts to lose all these jobs tied to the military-industrial complex. Um, And that's, you know, it's funny, because there are politicians who, it's just a matter of rank corruption. I'm sure there are Republicans who are like, yeah, uh, Raytheon, Boeing, give me money. And then when I, when I run for re-election, and then I'll look out for you. I don't give a fuck. That's some Republicans and probably some Democrats, too. But Elizabeth Warren, I'm guessing it's more about I don't want there to be a lot of job loss in my state. But either way, it's fucked up because either way, you end up supporting the war machine. And that, Liz, is not very progressive now, is it? So just know the facts. Understand what her blind spots are because they are large. And you do with that information whatever you will. Okay. Now we go to Kanye West. 
he was on David Letterman's show. And I think he played pretty loose with the term bullying. So Kanye West went on David Letterman's Netflix show, and um, he claimed he was bullied because he wore a Trump hat. Take a look. Have you ever been beat up in your high school for wearing the wrong hat? I just been beat up because people didn't like me. Yeah. <laughs> but I know what you're. I know yeah. what you're saying. The idea is the bullying. Who's the bully in this scenario? Well, definitely liberals bully people who are Trump supporters. It's not just calm. You can't just go and wear the hat. You can't just go. It's like F- you, F- you, like, like, bro. Okay, I I would like to make a pact with anybody on the right who's willing to make it. Can we stop with this liberal use of the word bullying? Because um, I think that people are throwing that word around way too much. I do. I think oftentimes... People are taking instances of disagreement or passionate disagreement, and they're calling it bullying. So you could either be in favor of, you know, the marketplace of ideas and the battlefield of ideas um, or not. So if you're in favor of that battle of ideas, well, then you're going to have to accept passionate disagreement and even disagreement where people curse you and call you an idiot and all that stuff. And that doesn't qualify as bullying. It just doesn't. I don't think that's bullying. Now, can Kanye point to maybe a couple examples because he's such a megastar and I'm sure there were people that crossed some sort of a line and they maybe, I don't know, said go kill yourself or some shit and maybe it does cross some sort of a line, whatever that line might be. It's possible. It's possible. But my guess is most of the people... We're going after him because they disagree with him. And not only are they calling him names, but they're also saying, hey, man, here's why that's wrong. And then they can make their argument. And But Kanye shuts down and goes, I'm just a free thinker. I'm a free thinker. That's why I'm wearing this hat. And what's frustrating is he tries to do this bullshit tap dance where he has his cake and he eats it too, where he gets to wear the hat, and then he wants nobody to criticize him when he wears the hat. Well, no, you're going to get criticized if you wear the hat. And then he goes into his, like, no, 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 it doesn't represent what it represents. It represents what I want it to represent because I say it represents something else. But that's not true. You can, you can pretend like that's the case, but you can't demand everybody accepts the game of pretend that you're playing. Because people are going to say, that hat represents Donald Trump quite literally. Donald Trump has done X, Y, and Z. That's why it's wrong. That's why it's wrong. It's like wearing a Klan hood and going, oh, Sure, maybe this has meaning, but I want it to have the meaning that I want it to have, bro, so it doesn't mean what you think it means, you know? Not saying it's an analogy, okay? It doesn't mean literally that Donald Trump is like the Klan. It means a symbol is a symbol, and it represents a specific thing. You don't really get to say, I'm just going to pretend like it doesn't represent that thing. I'm going to say it represents something else. He would make the argument, well, I'm so big, and I'm so powerful, and I'm such a superstar that I can do that. But no, you can't, obviously. It's not like as soon as Kanye started wearing the Make America Great Again hat, 
everybody went, oh, my interpretation of that is now what Kanye wants my interpretation of that to be. It is forever linked to Donald Trump. So it's going to be whatever he does, that hat comes with that baggage. By the same token, you don't see me wearing an Obama hat. Why? I mean, I may have agreed with some of what he did, but I also definitely don't agree with the drone strikes. And so I'm not going to wear the hat because I'm going to go, hey, that's part. I'm signing up for the package deal here. If I'm wearing the hat, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm cool with that now because that's what he did. You know, you could also say, but hey, you know, Obama released a lot of nonviolent drug offenders, you know, in his time in office, too. So it also represents that. Yeah, it represents all of it. it represents the good, represents the bad. I'm not going to rep it because there's enough bad where I'm going. I'm not going to rep that. And Kanye seems to want to have his cake and eat it, too, where it's like he wears the hat. People go, yo, what the fuck? And he's like, man, how dare you criticize? Of course they're going to criticize you. The fuck do you expect? Listen, if you're a public person, people are going to come after you, man. They're going to come after you. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't lines. Of course there are lines that shouldn't be crossed. Of course. But people, I've noticed a trend of people who are public personalities. They're far too sensitive about about where those lines should be. And in Kanye's mind, it's like, well, I wore the hat, and then how dare you bully me by saying I shouldn't wear the hat? It's like, well, no, most of the people saying you shouldn't wear the hat have really good, like, valid arguments as to why it represents a lot of shitty stuff. And you can wear it, but just know you're also repping that shitty stuff, whether or not you want to acknowledge it. It doesn't matter if you don't want to acknowledge it. That's, that's the package deal of the hat. Sorry. So let's just... just Stop with the fuck, oh my god, I'm so bullied. No, this is, this is the battle of ideas. This is what that is. Like, oh, you're wearing that, you say it represents X. No, it doesn't, it represents Y. I'm going to tell you why that is. That's the battle of ideas. So it's really weird how people flip on that whenever it's convenient. Whenever, well, I don't like this battle, so I'm just going to say, like, you're bullying me. Shut the fuck up, man. Why, just take it, just take it. Be a big, be a big boy, take it, take it. Okay? It's not that serious. It's really not that serious. So anyway, and David Letterman's point, what he was trying to get at is like, who is the bully in this situation? His point is probably like, you know, you say you're being bullied because you wore a hat. Well, what do you call it when you try to round up people who are undocumented immigrants, but they've never committed a crime, they've lived here for years, and you want to deport them anyway? Aren't they kind of being bullied a little bit? You know, the... I think that's an argument that David Letterman is, like, implying there. The argument is, oh, you say you're being bullied. I don't know. What about the fucking eight countries Trump is bombing? Are they being bullied? Is that bullying? I think that's bullying. When you fund Saudi Arabia and they kill babies in Yemen, are those babies in Yemen being bullied? Like, you're trying to flip it. Don't pretend like you're against the victim narrative and then all you do is play the victim. And there's a lot of that happening on the right nowadays. Okay, next. All right, final story of the day. All right. So this is a really interesting story about how our elections work. 
people are trying to circumvent the shittiness, and um, I like it. Bill granting Oregon's Electoral College votes to national popular vote winner heads to governor's desk. So as of right now, as of the time that this segment is being done, I do not know if the governor has signed it, okay? So I guess we will see on that front. However, um, so far, get this, 14 states and Washington, D.C. have joined this pact. So this is a way to, without literally eliminating the Electoral College, effectively eliminate the Electoral College. That's what this is. So the bill also notes that if the legislation is passed, it won't take effect until a number of states already do it as well. So in other words, um, until a number of states that would equal the majority of the Electoral College's 538 votes joins the agreement, then it doesn't take effect until that point. So there has to be enough of an agreement with various states that, yes, we think that the person who wins the popular vote should win the election. And then when you have that number of states that have agreed to that, that have the majority of the Electoral College votes, then it all goes into effect. So right now you have 14 states in Washington, D.C. I don't know the, the sum total of the electoral votes that we have already at this point, but it's in the realm of possibility. Like, it is conceivable we get to a point where we have enough of the people joining this, and by the way, it's called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. It is conceivable we get to that point, and then we actually have a system where the person who wins the popular vote wins the election. That is necessary, 100%. 100%. Anybody who wants to argue against that, fine. Argue against it till you're blue in the face. But just know, at the end of the day, these are rationalizations for a system where the person with fewer votes wins. That's what it is. That's what you're in favor of. Now, you could try to dress it up and say, oh, my God, but we don't, you know, we don't want to underrepresent rural places. Oh, you mean the places where there are fewer people? <laughs> There's less people there, bro. Is it fair that they don't get an equal say? Is it fair when people get the representation of one person, one vote? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Should Wyoming, you know, have the same number of uh, senators as California? California has a population of 76 quadrillion, and Wyoming has a population of four. So that's a slightly different argument because now we're talking about senators, but, you know, it's the same general principle at work here. Um, anybody who's, in, who's not in favor of the popular vote winning, fine, but just understand and be prepared to defend the idea that the person with fewer votes should win the election because that fundamentally is the argument. That's what it is. That's what it is. There's no getting around that. That's the argument you're making. So, yes, I think the person that has the most votes should win. I think that is democracy, um, and I think that's not even a very difficult issue, and I think the country would be a lot better off if we did that. And just know that there are five times it's happened in U.S. history. You could say, hey, that's a relatively small number. But most of them are in, moder in the modern era. So Donald Trump won the Electoral College. He didn't win the popular vote. Um, George W. Bush. George W. Bush. He won the Electoral College, but not the popular vote. So it's all like 
think about how different history would be if we just had one person, one vote, if we just had popular vote win. So I love this move, man. I love this move. And I love the way they're doing it because I think it could win. I think when you go state by state and you act on this, I think it could win for sure. Um, by the same token, I think we need to get money out of politics through the states to get a constitutional amendment. And you can actually succeed that way because the states are less corrupt than the federal government. And um, you can even convince many conservatives because most of them agree corruption is bad as well. So anyway, I thought I'd give you, um, you know, an update on this and give you a story about what's happening with national elections and how through the states they're impacting them. And I think this is a step in the right direction. All right, y'all. We done with the show. Love you guys. I will talk to you on Monday. And yeah, everybody enjoy the rest of your Thursday, and have a good one. Peace, bitches.